Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. If you found Hebrews chapter 4, glory to God. I want us to, to, uh, to look at one passage of scripture here. We're going to look at the 14th. Uh, verse And the reason I've selected this scripture this morning, you know, for the past several months, I've uh, uh, taught on two series recently. I taught on authority, our authority in Christ, the fact that we've been given authority. When Jesus was raised from the dead, all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. Well, he kept the authority for heaven and took it with him when he went to heaven. But the authority in the earth, he left in the earth. He passed that authority on to us. We have the authority. I'm talking about we as the church, the body of Christ. We have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that was given to him when he was raised from the dead that's been conferred to us. So we taught on that. Uh, I did for a number of weeks. And, uh, and then I taught most recently a, a series on healing. And we brought out from all of the scriptures that it is God's will to heal you. God wants you well. He has provided healing for us. We taught healing from all different kinds of perspectives. We taught healing from just uh, the the practical perspective that uh, it's good to be well. And Jesus went about doing good. You know, I, I was kind of raised in, not kind, I was definitely raised in a, an environment that taught us, you know, well, it might be God's will to heal, it might not be. And so somebody would say, well, I'm believing God for our healing, for my healing, and somebody would say, well, you know, don't get too excited. It might not be God's will to heal you. I always wondered about this from a practical level. All those people who believed that, you know, they, everybody prayed, and when nothing happened, then they said, well, you know, God's trying to teach me something, and he has a, 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 you know, a, a greater plan that he's working out in my life, and he doesn't want to deliver me from that. Those same people were popping pills, going to the doctor, getting treatments, trying to get out of God's will. I mean, trying to defeat the will of God. They're saying, no, God wants me. He's not willing that I be healed. He wants me sick. And then they're going to the doctor in rebellion against God. Now, that just doesn't make any sense. Just from sense of practicality, when you're sick, you want to get better. You don't need a revelation. If your stomach hurts, you want it to stop hurting. If, if, you, if you have a bad knee, you want a strong knee. You know, it's natural. God put, that's something that God put in us. Nobody needs to teach us that. When you're not well physically, you'll do whatever you need to do to try to get well. Well, that's, God wants us well. So anyway, we talked about it from that perspective. We talked about healing from the perspective that because God's compassionate, he's merciful. Who among us would deny something as basic as helping someone get better if we had it in our power to do it? Nobody would withhold that. Well, people say, well, God's a loving God, but he's, you know, he'll just sit there and let you squirm, you know, through your illness. No, he's not like that. He's a merciful God. So we talked about it from that perspective. We talked about it from the perspective that God has provided healing through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. When he went to the cross, he took our sicknesses and our diseases. God placed those sicknesses and diseases on Christ and he bore them in order to relieve us from them. He took them off of us. That means God doesn't intend for us to walk through life uh, with sickness and disease in our life. So we talked about that. 
And, uh, and so it's important to be grounded in certain fundamental truths, certain things that we know that belong to us. But I'm gonna tell you something. Just knowing, just knowing that God wants you well and that God has provided health and healing for you is not enough for you to walk in that healing. Just knowing, we talk about that God wants you to prosper. Just knowing that God wants you to prosper and knowing that he has provided prosperity, it, that in itself will not bring prosperity to you. And when it comes to all of the blessings of God, everything God offers you, everything that should be yours as a Christian, you, just knowing that it's available won't bring it to you. I know for a number of years, I was absolutely convinced that healing belonged to me. You could not torture that revelation out of me. No, I, there's nothing you could have done would have, would have caused me to change and to, to relent and to say, well, I don't believe that. It was just a part of me. I knew it. But for a long time, I still had a, 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 most of the time, I didn't receive my healing. I did sometimes, but most of the time I didn't. I would eventually, after praying and standing for a while, I would eventually seek some other remedy. It's gone awfully quiet in here. I'm telling you, just knowing that it belongs to you will not put you over. And you know, God wants us to have everything that belongs to us. We, we, we've been made partakers of Christ. And not only that, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses unto me. Now, for a long time, we, I, I did in the church I, that I grew up in. And then when I came, uh, when I got back into fellowship with the Lord as a, as a young man, we interpreted that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he will make you witness. Make you do witnessing. In other words, he will, he will give you the power to do witnessing. And so we were very eager to make sure we were doing our witnessing. That's really not what that verse says. He says when the Holy, this is in Acts chapter two, of course, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, he will, he will give you power when that power comes upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. One, one, several versions, and I think the original uh, Greek says, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said. Well, to be a witness for Jesus, you have to live like Jesus. Now, everybody knows if you go around with a beer in your hand and a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and curse words coming out of you and you chase skirts and you do all those things, you're not a witness for Jesus. But at the same time, if you don't live a victorious life, you're not a witness for Jesus. Didn't get as much laughter that time. If you don't live an, live an overcoming victorious life, you are not representing Jesus the way he wants to be represented. You're, you're not really like him. Now you think about Jesus in his earthly ministry. Jesus, let me let me. Let me present this proposition. Just think for a minute. I'm not being funny here. Let's say the Lord Jesus came 
And he was, you know, like he came through Bethlehem, through the Virgin Mary, grew up, you know, and began his ministry. And he was here, just like we know he was, to be the savior of the world. He came on the scene after John the Baptist introduced him, began to preach, you know, the kingdom of God. And, and he would, you know, go from city to city and village to village and teach people and get them ready, you know, for, for uh, the change that was coming because he was going to the cross. That was the ultimate thing he was getting people ready for. Let's say he had that ministry and that message, but he had a big old skin cancer on his face. Not being funny here. Or he, 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 he walked the shores of Galilee and he had to have a walking stick. Okay, you know, a cane. Not against anybody with a cane. Don't get personal. Not being, not, I'm not, I'm, I just want you to, I just want to give you an idea. If, if, he, if he talked about the blessing of God and the fullness of the blessing of Abraham and he didn't exhibit it, it would have taken away from his effectiveness. If he was tongue-tied and nervous and unsure of himself in the presence of unclean spirits, he couldn't have demonstrated authority over them. He couldn't have effectively, let me say this, he couldn't have effectively taught so if Jesus had not been the picture of God's blessing, the fullness of everything that, that God's word says, it would have taken away from his message about those things. Well, by the same token, God wants us to have everything that was in him. Now, I understand that you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. We know collectively the body of Christ in the earth, we are Christ's body in that sense, but you and I are not uh, in the same condition Jesus was when he was here in that, excuse me, in that he was born without sin and he never sinned. He never one time sinned. He was perfect. Well, the only person I know in here is perfect is, is Miss Perfect right here. <laughs> Eyebrow. No, none of us are perfect. Amen. So we're not saying that. But we have, we have a goal that is set before us. And it's higher than where we are. And we have, to, we have to be reaching for those things. Because to the degree that we exemplify victory, and it, that's the degree that we exemplify the Lord. If you're going to talk to people about righteousness and judgment to come and the kingdom of God and the things of God, you, 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 God wants you to do that from a perspective of having everything working in your life. Yeah. Well, so we need to find out, well, what is then the, the key? How do, you, how do you turn the knowledge of what belongs to you into actual possession of those things? Amen. Have you found Hebrews chapter 4? Verse 14 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, notice these next words, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. In the next few weeks, I'm gonna be talking about how to lay hold 
of everything that you know to be true that belongs to you, how to put it into practice and how to actually have the reality of those things in your life. How to actually not only believe in healing, but be healed. To be how to walk in health, how to walk in authority, how to live prosperously. All of that, the keys are going to be found in what we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. Notice, it says, let us hold fast our confession. Everybody say that word with me, confession. confession. Now, when most people think of confession... They think of the confession of sin or of some uh, wrong or to confess to a crime. I didn't know this. No one, I, growing up, now I went to church and it was a Pentecostal church, but we were uh, uh, fundamentalists. We were just like Baptists, you know, just Bible-believing Baptists, except we, we also believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and, and the gifts of the Spirit. But all of our doctrine was, again, just like it just fundamental, good, solid Bible teaching. Salvation message, baptism, water baptism, living for God, serving God, all of that is, was the same. And I went to church three times a week. When I was little, we had four services, actual church services a week. When I got older, we, we went back and went to three. But I was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night until I was uh, 17 and a half years old when I left home and I didn't go back to church for a while. But I, I was in church every week, three times a week. I never remember hearing a message on confession. I didn't know. If you would have asked me what does the word confession mean? What is confession? I would have said something like this. Well, it's, it's to admit you've messed up. You've done something wrong. You confess you're wrong, you know. I guarantee you, if you took a poll, if you just not a poll, but just ask, go out this week. Just casually ask somebody on the job. By, by the way, uh, what does confession mean? I'm, I'm telling you, that's what most people will think it means. There are four different, different kinds of confession in the New Testament. Four different kinds. Now, again, if, if, if you ask somebody on the job, how many different kinds of confession are there in the New Testament? Most of your Christian friends will look at you like they don't even know how to answer you. They go, what? I don't understand the question. What? How many kinds of confession are there identified in the New Testament? What? I never heard there were four different kinds. There are four different kinds of confession found in the New Testament, and we need to know what they are. Because they're, they're the keys. Confession is the key to you walking in the blessing of God. It's that important. Now, the first kind of confession is, we won't look at the scriptures. You remember when, when John the Baptist came into to, uh, the wilderness, you know, uh, uh, and, and began to baptize and people from Jerusalem and Judea went out to him in the wilderness and were baptized in water. What did it say? It said they went out and he, he preached repentance of sins and the people came and repented and were baptized and the book of Acts says it's, it was the baptism under repentance. That kind of, that's the first kind of baptism we find in the New Testament and it doesn't apply any longer. And you, you, you won't hear me say this many times, but this is one thing that has passed away. <laughs> because it was, it was Jewish baptism. 
Even though it's in the New Testament, it's in the, you know, Bible's divided in Old and New and Matthew starts the New Testament. It, it, it was the, the, the dispensation of the Old Testament was still in effect because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. When John went into the wilderness and began to baptize and people came to him from all quarters and were baptized with the baptism of repentance, Jesus' ministry hadn't even, now he was there, but nobody knew him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know he was among them. And he hadn't begun his ministry. He certainly hadn't gone to the cross. So the kind of baptism they were participating is not Christian uh, baptism. And the kind of confession they were confessing isn't Christian confession. confession. They didn't get saved or born again as a result of their repentance or their confession. They came confessing their sins, but it was a preparatory thing to get them ready to receive the message of Jesus who was about to come on the scene. Well, today, uh, we, the, the Christian era, of course, has been fully uh, inaugurated. We're in the church age today. And so that form of, of confession no longer applies. So that's one that we can mark off our list. The other three types of confession still are in play today. The next one is the sinner's confession of the lordship of Jesus. Go with me over to Romans chapter 10. Romans the 10th chapter. Romans chapter 10. This is such an important passage when it comes to receiving things from God. Now, we're talking about confession. I'm just introducing some things this morning so you can see uh, how, how things are, are set up during the church age. In Romans chapter 10, it says, let's start in verse 6. Now, now we're, we're, don't you know, analyze this too close. We're going to get down to verse number 10. But just to set the, the uh, uh, context here, verse number 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess, now let me, let me before we go in further in verse nine, let's, look, let's go back in verse number eight. What does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Paul said, I am a word of faith preacher. When he said we, he was talking about himself. He was talking about those who traveled with him, his, his uh, partners in ministry. He was talking about all New Testament teachers and preachers and apostles. He said the message we preach and what we preach is the word of faith. Now the word, just take a little side journey there. The word there that's translated word is not the same. There's two fundamental words in the New Testament that are translated word. Most Christians know that one of them is the logos. And that's the, that's the word that's used in John chapter 1 when it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That word there for word is logos. And that word means the complete understanding, the fullness of the matter. And so in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus is the eternal Word. He is the fullness of the matter. Everything of God is summed up in him. This word in, in verse number eight, twice it's used. It says in the first part, the word is near you. That is not the word logos. It is the word rhema. The rhema is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the rhema of faith which we preach. Now the word rhema is also translated word, but, the, but rhema is not the whole message. It's not the whole picture. Rhema is, is a fragment of the whole and it's a part of the whole that is spoken. It is, in other words, if, if this entire Bible is the whole word, if you take a passage and you begin to speak it, it then becomes the rhema. It's a part of the whole, but it's spoken out. That's what rhema means. He said, that's what we preach. We preach the rhema. He said, the rhema is near you, and where is it? In your mouth and in your heart. That is the spoken rhema of faith which we preach. Now notice verse nine. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. Notice this is not the confession of sin. This has nothing to do with the confession of sin. This is the confession of Jesus. What does it mean to, to confess Jesus? Well, let's continue to read. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is how people get saved. They believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and with the, their mouth they confess the Lord Jesus. In other words, they say with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. The word confess simply, if you, if you did a dictionary search in the Greek, the word confess simply means to say the same thing. And that's why what we preach is the spoken word of rhema. And you get that word down in you, in your heart. When you hear, if you're hearing me today for the first time, you've never heard the gospel. What I'm telling you today is the way of salvation. This is how you get saved. If you're listening to me and if you have an open heart, that word will go through your ears, but it will go down into your inward man and faith will come. It'll happen every time. It'll happen this Sunday morning. It'll happen any time the word of God is spoken. Anytime the word becomes rhema, it produces faith. It'll go down into your, into your heart and faith will come up. I had somebody tell me one time, you know, I'd like to believe all this, but you know, I just don't have faith. I said, that's not true. If you heard me talk to you, you have faith because faith comes by hearing and you heard me. What he was saying is, I choose not to believe. He's saying, I choose not to have faith. Yeah. Because to, to hear the word, faith comes. Faith comes. Okay, so he said, here's how you get saved. If you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
In other words, if you say and, and with your mouth you own up to and put into your own words and actually own it with your own saying that Jesus is the Lord, coupled with believing in your heart that God raised him from this. See, it won't work. Saying it won't work if you don't believe. If you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you could say all day long, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. It won't produce a thing in you. But if you believe it in here and you say it, something happens. Now see, I wasn't raised to, to understand that. I never heard that growing up. I grew up in a spirit-filled, Pentecostal, full gospel church. I never heard this way of salvation. The way we, the way we thought it worked is, you, you, you know, sit, you're in a church service and somebody's preaching and, and you come, come under conviction and you confess your sins and you accept Christ into your heart and you're saved. Well, we did get saved, but inadvertently along the way, we confessed him as Lord. We just didn't know what we were doing. Because we immediately started saying, oh, Lord Jesus, I love you, Lord Jesus. Well, what were we doing? We're confessing him as Lord. But we thought it was the tears and the, and the repentance and the sorrow, being sorrowful, you know, sorrow, uh, sorrowful or sorry for, our, uh, sorry for our sins. Get it out. We thought that confessing and then accepting Christ. Well, it's a matter of believing on him and saying what you believe. Now, he tells us in the next verse how it works. Verse 10. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. That would be unto the righteousness of the new birth. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Did you see that? Confession is made unto salvation. But this isn't the confession of sins. There's nothing in here, it doesn't mention at all. There's no reference to you confessing your sins. And see, that's what I didn't understand. I, no one ever taught me this growing up. We were taught if you'll confess your sins, God will forgive you and save you. The problem with that is if you had to confess all your sins in order to be saved, none of us could ever be saved because you can't remember all your stinking sins. Now, I've never committed that many. I could probably, I could probably do it. No, there's not a person in here who could remember all their sins. Wouldn't it be a tragic thing to confess every sin you could think of and believe you were saved only to get to the pearly gates and the Lord say, oh, you remember that pear you jumped, you know, you jumped across the fence, stole that pear off your neighbor's tree when you were 10? Reject. You can't, you can't remember all your sins. So confessing your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. That was not written to sinners. It was written to the church telling us about a different kind of confession. But the confession he's talking about here that gets people saved is the confession of the lordship of Jesus. That's what gets people saved, coupled with faith in the heart. Have faith in your heart, believe in your heart, and then with your mouth, confess the lordship of Jesus. What does that do when a person does that? It gets them off the fence. It, it 
by confessing the lordship of Jesus, by putting it in your own words, you are taking ownership of this experience. You're taking ownership. You're placing yourself by confessing his lordship, you're placing yourself under his lordship. You are, uh, you are accepting his lordship over you and he is now your Lord. It identifies you. It takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of God's dear son. Praise God. Amen. That's what it does. Confession of the lordship of Jesus. Notice it's not a confession of sin. So we have four in the New Testament. The first one doesn't apply because that was confessions of sins that the Jews uh, practiced before Jesus came, so that doesn't apply to us. The three that are left that do apply to us, first of all, is the confession of the Lordship of Jesus. Now, the, the second one, now notice that's a positive confession. It's not negative, it's positive. The next one is negative. 1 John 1, 9 if, if we confess our sins, now go over there to, to 1 John, look at it. Look at chapter 1 and look at verse number 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, this is obviously written to the church. It's not written to the world. This is written to Christians. And he goes on to say in verse number nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, excuse me, all unrighteousness. This is telling Christians how to handle sin when they yield to it in their Christian life. Every one of us has had opportunity to practice this verse. Because, because we're not perfect, because we still are in this flesh and we haven't uh, received our glorified body, Jesus hasn't come back and the Bible says we'll be changed in a, in a twinkling of the eye and we'll become like him and we'll, we'll go up to meet him in the air. Until that happens, we're all still... Uh, in the flesh, even though our, our spirit's been born again, we're still in this fleshly house and sometimes it trips us up. I said sometimes the, the, this house we live in, our flesh trips us up. And so when we sin, he's telling us how to deal with it, how to handle it. He said, if you'll confess your sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's telling you how to stay in fellowship. When you sin, when you do wrong, don't just ignore it because if you do, that sin consciousness will get into you. Your, your conscience will, will condemn you because you've done wrong. And if you ignore it, you'll, you'll, you'll trip up more and more and more and more and you'll get more and more and more condemned in yourself and then eventually you'll get so discouraged, you'll just say, well, I'm, I'm just gonna quit trying. I can't live this Christian life. Instead, stay in fellowship with God and every time you miss it, just when you do, just right then, you don't have to fall on your knees and, and weep and wail and, and beat your head on the floor or anything. Just say, God, I confess that. That was wrong. Forgive me. And you're instantly, that, that fellowship is instantly restored. You just walk on in fellowship with God. So this is the confession of sin for the Christian. 
it's, it's a negative confession in the sense that it, you're confessing something negative. It's not a negative thing, but you're confessing something negative that's happened. Isn't that right? The first one is positive. You're confessing the lordship of Jesus. Amen. Now the third, and we'll close up with this, the third one uh, of, the, of the three, the fourth, but the third of the three. Is everybody confused? Okay. The third one that applies to us is the believer's confession of faith. That's what this is talking about. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. This is what Hebrews 4 is talking about. Verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, this couldn't be talking about the confession of sin. Again, that's the, the way I was raised and the way most people were raised. Confession just means to, to admit to do something wrong. No, confession means to say something that you believe. If you go to Webster's Dictionary, you could find this in others, I'm sure, but Webster's Dictionary. says to confess means, number one, to admit a fault or a crime. The second definition in Webster's means to declare one's faith in. To declare one's faith in. That's what we're talking about. The, the, the Christian, if he, if he misses it, if he sins, he confesses his fault. That's the negative side. But there are two positive sides. The first one is the sinner. He doesn't confess his sins. He confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. That's a positive confession. This is talking about a positive confession because if it wouldn't be the confession of sin because, because when you confess your sin, he said, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from it. Well, the, he also says in the Bible that when he forgives your sin, he forgets about it. He says, I will remember your sin no more. Well, why would you go back and confess it again the next day? Some people have been confessing the same sins for 15 years. And every time you confess your sin, if you could hear the Lord, he's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Because you must have already confessed me, confessed this to me, and I must have already forgiven you because I don't remember it. And it was in 2003, and you keep bringing this up, You've been doing this since 2003. I don't know what you're talking about. No, you don't go back and hold fast to a confession of sin. You confess it one time and you thank God that you're free. You don't bring it up again. It's not good manners to bring up your sin that he's forgiven you of. It's insulting to him. Jesus poured out his blood to cleanse you completely from sin. And that's what happens. When he forgives you, buddy, you're cleansed. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Don't remind God. But we are to hold fast to our confession. Well, again, that has to be the positive side. Well, go over with me to Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. See, the only thing that's gonna get, the only thing that's gonna get you to stop reminding God of all of your past mis mistakes and failures is to have your heart 
sprinkled or washed from a guilty conscience. The only thing that's going to do that is the Word of God. The only thing that's going to do that in the Word. If you'll get into the Word of God and start finding out what belongs to you, who you are in Christ, it'll free you from those tormenting thoughts of the past. Every one of us has a past in the natural. Every one of us has those B.C. days, you know, before Christ days. But you know what? They ought not have any hold on you at all, whatsoever. In other words, you shouldn't feel guilty for anything you've ever done. And if you feel guilty for some past mistake, your heart's not sprinkled sufficiently. You need to have your heart sprinkled from a guilty conscience, evil conscience. Now let's go on. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, the new King James says the confession of our hope. The older King James says the confession of our faith. And a lot of the older translations say that, the confession of our faith, which is right. Well, there's... there's because of different manuscripts that different translators use, some choose to use one manuscript to translate from and some choose the other. And some of those old manuscripts say faith and some say hope. Well, which one's right? I personally believe faith is right because he's talking about faith in this verse. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of hope. No, faith. Full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See that? So here again, we're told to hold fast to our confession, and it's a confession of faith. The confession of faith is the central issue in the overcoming life. It is the central issue in the overcoming life. Or to say it differently, in order to overcome in life, in order to prevail, in order to have the blessings that belong to you, the confession of your faith in those things. What does that mean? Confessing with your mouth. That's what the word confess from the original Greek means. It's, it means to speak or to say the same thing. Your confession is what will define your life. Your confession will define your life. Your confession is your faith speaking. Our confession locates us. It reveals what is really in our heart. The reason people are prayed for and, and the preacher asked them, well, do you believe you're healed? They say, yep, I believe I'm healed. And they go the, their way, and the next day, they're on the job, and they're saying, you know, I've, I've had this, this sickness, I'm just so sick, and, and I've got this, this you know, and, I'm, and I've got that. They just negated what happened on Sunday. Because they said they believed they were healed, but then they're going out and they're talking about how they're not healed. The reason they're doing that is because in their heart, they don't really believe it. See, when you really believe something, 
When you believe something is really true, you're going to talk that way. You're going to talk that way. I don't care what it is in the natural realm. You're going to talk that way. I talk the way I talk and you talk the way you talk based on what you believe. We all do. Jesus said it like this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He went on to say, the day is coming when you're gonna be judged by your words. Now, Pastor Angela made an interesting statement this morning. She said, Jesus is the first and the last. He has the first word, God has the first word, and he has the last word. Yes, he does. But before he has the last word, you have. He has the last word after it's all over, but in this life, you have the last word. You have the last word in this life, but when this life is over, he's still going to be saying the right thing whether you did or not. He's going to have the last word, and it might negate everything you said, but in your life, you have the last word. It's what you believe in your heart. That's what is going to come out of your mouth. And if you want to change what's in your life, then change what's in your heart so what, so what you see in the Bible begins to come out of your mouth. And that's when you take ownership of it. That's when you take possession of it. Your faith and my faith will never grow beyond our confession. Our faith will never grow beyond our confession. Never. Our faith grows as we boldly confess what we believe in this Bible. That's, that's what causes faith to grow. Confession brings possession. What you will not boldly confess, you will not possess. Now, you will, you will start practicing this. You'll start paying attention to the things you're saying. But if you don't have it in your heart, somewhere along the line, the devil's gonna poke you real good when you're not thinking and the wrong thing's gonna come out of your mouth. And it's gonna come out because that's what's in your heart. So you can practice saying the right thing, it won't work. If you just say, well, I'm just going to stop saying that. I've got to quit saying these things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about get the word in you. Get the word in you to the degree that whenever the enemy pokes you, and what do I mean by that? Oh, uh, that old whatever. I can't think. I can't think of anything right. What would, give me something. Room a, what? A popped out rib, Okay. <laughs> You've had a tough week, haven't you? <laughs> In other words, when the enemy attacks you with something, if, if, if God's healing is in you and you know that by his stripes you were healed, what's gonna come out of you is, get out of here, devil. I'm not taking that glory to God. I don't have, get in, get back in there, rib. <laughs> I am not having no popped out ribs. <laughs> Except at the barbecue joint, you know. <laughs> no, what is in you, what is in you is gonna come out. So it's not a matter of just trying to catch yourself 
And, and, and particularly when you're around pe other people, you know, that believe this and you don't want to say the wrong thing because, you know, back in the early days, the word of faith, but if you, if you, if you slipped up and said, you know, I, I'm just afraid, I'm, I, I'm just afraid I'm not going to be able to, to, to get to work on time. God's not giving us the spirit of fear, brother. You shouldn't be talking about being afraid of anything. I mean, people would jump on your case, you know. But it didn't produce what it should have produced. Come on. We, it got ridiculous. Somebody would begin to, to go off and somebody said, well, say, you know, take care. Oh, no, I'm not taking care. Because the old King James says, be careful for nothing. So I'm not, I'm not, well, that, what he was talking about was don't take worry. When somebody says, take care, they're not saying, take worry. <laughs> be worried and be fretful. No, they mean be careful. Don't be dumb. Be careful. But, you know, people jumped on this, you know, and everybody was, we called them confession cops. It was in the church. Other people just listened to everything people said and just correct them all the time. Listen, stop. That, that won't work. Get it in here. Get it in here. Get it in here to the, get your healing in here. Get your prosperity in here. Get your authority in here. Get your victory in here. Get the answers you need, whatever it is you're dealing with. Get the answer from God's word in here and get it in you to the degree and to the sufficiency that whenever anything comes up that even remotely looks different than that, you say, nope, I know what the Bible says and this is what I have. Amen. In fact, you say it when, when the enemy's not poking you. It fills your day, glory to God. Just rejoicing in what you have. And let's, let's stand, praise the Lord. <laughs> Confession will bring possession one way or the other. For good or for, or for bad, confession brings possession. What you believe in your heart and what you say with your mouth, and again, what you believe in your heart, you will eventually say with your mouth. It's going to come out. But whenever you have the right thing in your heart, and when you believe what the Bible says in your heart, and it comes out of you, it comes out with creative power. The confession of your faith is creative. So what do you mean by that? When, Jesus, when God's in the, in the vast emptiness of space, when nothing in this natural universe existed, and God said, let there be light. He was saying something that, that was in his heart, on the inside of him. And he said it, and when he said it, it had creative power. Faith is creative I said faith is creative. It, it has creative power in it. Glory to God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, truly believe that God raised him from the dead, it will create salvation. That's what happens. Well, if you believe in your heart that you are healed and you confess it out of your heart, it'll create healing. It'll create blessing, victory. It'll create all the blessings that God tells you belongs to you. Get it in you. Just get it in you. Praise God. Amen. Praise
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.